sermon text for this morning uh, is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. As we continue in the letter to the Hebrews, uh, working our way, uh, as is our custom, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, through a whole book of the Bible. So we read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in a reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, that Noah is named among those old covenant saints who lived by faith. Those old covenant saints who trusted in the Lord and who looked forward to his promises, who trusted in his word. And what we see with Noah is that he is a man who lived by faith, and it was evidenced in his life. It was evidenced by his decisions. We see first in our text this morning and in the outline for the sermon that Noah lived by faith and he trusted God's warning of judgment. Noah trusted God's warning of judgment. And when we hear this word judgment, some of us might take issue with it because it sounds harsh. You know, in our society, we hear that common refrain, don't judge me. What do people mean when they say that? Don't judge me. Uh, they mean uh, you have no right to evaluate me and to pass judgment on me. Uh, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Uh, so let's just leave each, other's, uh, leave each other alone. Let's not make opinions of one another. And so as we approach this historical account of Noah, you know, the danger is that we might have that attitude and ask questions like, why did God bring judgment upon the earth? Um, was it good? Was it even right of God to do so? Um, well, loved ones, we know that it was good and that it was right of him to do so because he is God. Everything he does is good. Everything he does is right. And the very fact that it happened means that it was good and that it was right. So the Bible, even in this instance, helps us to see here a great deal of why God brought judgment upon the earth. Uh, Because the way that Genesis 6 describes the world during Noah's day is that There was moral corruption. There was great sin in the earth, and that is why God brought judgment through the flood. The Bible, you see, gives us God's assessment, God's eye view of his creation, how he evaluated what the world was like after the fall into sin. And we see this evaluation in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, where we read, The Lord saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Loved ones, this 
was a devastating assessment of humanity in Noah's day. That everything that their hearts desire, desired, that their hearts dwelled upon, that their hearts yearned for, yearned for was only evil continually. It wasn't just that their actions and their desires uh, most of the time were displeasing to God, that only once in a while they messed up. Uh, no. What we read there in Genesis 6, 5, is that it was every thought, only evil, continually. Uh, this is, you know, if we think about it, in direct contrast to the opening chapter of the Bible there in Genesis chapter 1, where God, as he evaluated his creation, what was his assessment? It's good. He even says at the end of the chapter, it was very good. But now by Genesis chapter 6, after uh, the fall of man into sin and the curse upon creation that God pronounced, what is God's assessment? It's no longer good. It's no longer very good. But we see instead that uh, there is corruption and sin. We read uh, God's assessment uh, as it continues in Genesis 6, verse 11 through 13. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And we see three times in these verses that the world was corrupt. That refrain repeats itself. This word, corrupt, could also be translated as destroyed. God's assessment is that the world was destroyed by sin. This is the same word that's used in verse 17 where God says that he will destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. And see, there seems to be this connection in Genesis 6 between verses 11 through 13 and, verses, and verse 17. It's as though God is saying, I am going to destroy something that has already been destroyed by sin, that has already been ruined by sin. And it's in the midst of this warning of impending judgment, of impending wrath, that we read that Noah found grace, he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We see that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8. And, you know, most of my life, I thought that this meant that uh, God spared Noah because of his righteousness, I thought that it was as though, you know, God was scanning the earth just like GPS scans the earth today, right? God was scanning the earth and all he saw was corruption and wickedness and sin. But there was Noah, that shining light, and God said, hey, there's a good guy who does good. And because he's a good guy, I am going to save him and his family. Loved ones, that is not what Genesis 6, 8 is referring to. It's not what it's describing, because we have to evaluate this in light of the rest of Scripture. And when we do that, what we see is that the only reason that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord is because 
the Lord chose Noah to be the object of his grace. We know that we can never merit or earn God's favor. That's as true today as it was in Noah's day, as it has been since the fall of humanity into sin. Noah was as dependent on the grace of God in Jesus Christ, on that imputed righteousness of Christ, he was as dependent upon it as you and I are. Because it's this righteousness, we're told, that came to Noah. It came to Noah, how? By means of an inheritance. It's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 11, verse 7, our scripture text for this morning. We read in this verse that Noah became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. How does an heir gain his riches? It's not by working hard. It's not by earning it or meriting it. How does an heir receive his riches? How does he do that? He receives it through an inheritance. Somebody else works and then passes it down, gives it to them. And so we read that Noah was an heir of righteousness, of the righteousness of Christ. He received it by grace, as do all those who trust in Christ. And this is the work of God. It is the work of grace in Noah's life that then caused Noah to be set apart from the world, to be sanctified. Noah, because he was the object of God's grace, He was like Abel. He was like Enoch who lived before him. He was like those men who walked with God, who trusted in God by faith. They were different from the world around them because they were the objects of God's grace. They sought to please God, to have communion with God, to obey God. And we know that Noah obeyed God and his commandments, because it's repeated in Genesis that he did so. Genesis chapter 6, verse 22, after God commanded Noah to build the ark, what was Noah's response? We read, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And then Genesis chapter 7, verse 5, after God commanded Noah to then get into the ark and to bring his family with him, what was Noah's response? We read, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. This was Noah's response, faithful obedience to God's grace. You know, it's at this point in the story of Noah, as he's responding in obedience to God's commands, that we can make a mistake and say, well, it was easy for Noah to obey God. His obedience was very easy for him in that time. But loved ones, there are are so many reasons why it would have been understandable, this is humanly speaking, for Noah to respond differently than he did to the warning that God had given him of coming judgment. Would have been understandable. And there are some some things that I want to mention from Noah's story, from what we learn, the rest of the scripture. Consider first the sheer size of the ark and the amount of work 
that was involved in building it. We might not get this at first glance in the text. Um, when we first read it there in Genesis 6, we see that Noah, uh, God gave Noah detailed plans about how the ark was to be built. And we see that it was huge. You know, if we convert the measurements that God gave to Noah into our measurements today, uh, the ark would have been around 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. That is uh, bigger than a football field. It's several stories tall. Children, it's the height of the ark was much taller than the ceilings are here. It's a massive, massive structure. And those of you who have been in construction, think about the sheer volume of material that was needed. Preparing the lumber, then putting the pieces together, the work, the material needed, uh, everything needed to be put into place just right according to what God told Noah. And not only that, but this was all being built miles from the ocean. The sheer size and the amount of work involved in building the ark, it would have been understandable for Noah to disobey God's command, humanly speaking. Consider also that Noah could have replied differently to the Lord because of the length of time that passed between God's warning to Noah of judgment and the day the rains actually began those flood waters. You know, depending on how we interpret Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, it seems that as much as 120 years passed between the time that God warned Noah about the flood and the day that those flood rains actually began. It's 120 years between the warning and the day of judgment. You know, I have a hard time waiting 120 seconds for my coffee at Starbucks. And here, Noah is waiting 120 years for the day of judgment that God had promised. Imagine by year 50, Lord, I'm building this ark. There's no floodwaters. Year 75, year 100, what we see with Noah is that he persevered. And this is why the writer of Hebrews underlines the fact that Noah believed in God's warning. He believed, the writer of Hebrews says, concerning events as yet unseen. That Noah, it wasn't apparent to him and to those around him that the floodwaters were coming, and yet Noah, in obedience, obeyed God's command, even though this event was so far into the future. And lastly... You know, it would have been understandable for Noah not to obey God because of the unbelief of those around him, of all the world around him. Noah, in his generation, was one who stood for God. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, that he condemned the world, meaning that Noah revealed by his righteousness, by his obedience, he contrasted his life. It was a contrast to the unbelief of those around him. He is one who stood for God in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It's a passage in which the Apostle Peter 
He compares the ungodliness in our day, in our culture, in our world, with the ungodliness in the days of Noah. And, you know, in the same way that the people... Uh, that people today make fun of us when we speak about a future day of judgment, uh, you know, they made fun of Noah as well. They rejected Noah as well. Right? They dismissed him just like they dismiss uh, the warnings in Scripture today. We read in, again, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved, in both of them, I am stirring you up, uh, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water, by the word of God, and that by means of the word, the heavens and the earth that now exist, uh, I'm sorry, and that by the means of these, The world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But the same word, the heavens and earth, uh, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So what the Apostle Peter is pointing at is that in those days that Noah was building the ark, he was a witness of God's coming judgment. He was a witness to his neighbors. He was a witness to those scoffers. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 2, Noah is referred to as a herald of righteousness, which means that he was perhaps explaining his actions, warning his neighbors, even as he was building that ark, telling them about the coming judgment. And we see that those around him responded with unbelief. Some commentators note that perhaps those scoffers said things like, Noah, you are out of your mind. Look around. There are no floodwaters. The sun is out. Let us eat and drink and be merry and forget all this talk of judgment and wrath and of the anger of God. And in fact, the Lord Jesus likens our days today to what it was like for Noah, that people uh, lived in unbelief because life seemed routine. They paid no attention to spiritual matters, uh, to worshiping the one true and living God. And Noah's faith, just like our faith, condemns the world for its unbelief. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 17, verses 22 through 27, where the Lord Jesus describes what his coming will be. Jesus said to his disciples, the days are coming when what you desire, you will see the days of the Son of Man and you will uh, not see it. And they will say to you, look, there, 
or look, hear. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. See, loved ones, what God commanded Noah was very difficult. The sheer size of the ark and having to build it with simple tools. The length of time between the promise of judgment and the actual day of judgment. And the unbelief of the world around him. All these things added to the difficulty of his being obedient to God's command. But we read Noah trusted God's warning of coming judgment and he obeyed God. He did all that God commanded him. What we see secondly is that Noah trusted in what God provided to escape judgment. He obeyed God. He obeyed the warning. He also trusted in the means that God provided to escape the coming judgment. In our text in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, the emphasis there is that Noah trusted in the means that God provided to save him and his household. You see, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, what did he do? In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household, just like God had told him, just as God had provided for him the means, the plans for how he and his household might be saved. You see, that God warned Noah of impending judgment He explained to Noah of the only way of salvation from judgment, and Noah responded by faith, by building the ark. Noah trusted in what God provided. Loved ones, in Noah's ark, what we see is a shadowy form of the salvation that is provided through the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as Noah trusted in the means that God provided to save him and his family from judgment, we need to trust in the one that God has provided in order to escape the future judgment to come. Now, the Hebrew Christians, as we've noted throughout the study through the letter to the Hebrews, the Hebrew Christians were tempted to leave Christ and to return to the older covenant types and shadows. They wanted to forsake their newfound faith in the Lord Jesus and to turn to perhaps some other way of salvation. They doubted his ability to save them from their sins. What they wanted to do was, in a sense, to get out of the ark of salvation. It would have been like Noah taking a dive off of his ark and saying, I'm going to find some other way to be saved. I'm going to find some other way to be delivered from the wrath that God brings upon uh, sinners. So to reject, we know this, to reject the only way of salvation then, to reject the only way that God has provided to be delivered from judgment, 
is then to have to undergo that judgment because there is only one way of escape, loved ones, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think about the judgment of God as we consider Noah's story, we see that the judgment of God is a serious matter. The flood of Noah. You know, sometimes when we think of Noah's story, uh, we kind of default because many of us were raised in church and we went to Sunday school. We kind of default to thinking about it as a children's story. I grew up with the, the felt boards, and the animals were pretty cute, and, and there was Noah on his ark kind of bobbing up and down the ocean. and It all seemed pretty simple, pretty childish, pretty harmless. Right? But in reality, loved ones, what is a flood? A flood is terrifying. Now, many of us we followed uh, the news stories from the Gulf Coast, those stories that came after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. We saw the footage of the severe flooding in many states. Lives were lost. People were fearing for their lives and for their possessions. And for me, more vivid is the footage that came out of the Philippines in 2004 and then from Japan in 2011 after tsunamis struck those areas. Those were terrifying flood events. And so when we think about the judgment that came upon the earth in Noah's day, we need to understand that it was exponentially more terrifying. It wasn't one tsunami, but it was a catastrophic worldwide flood. And you could imagine loved ones as the people fled to higher and higher ground and then perhaps tried to climb taller structures in order to escape the, the waters. Soon those waters overtook them and they all perished as God blotted out the people, the animals, the creeping things, and the birds of the heavens from the face of the earth. It was a terrifying judgment that came upon the earth. What we learn is that the judgment of God is serious. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What we learn also from Scripture, loved ones, is that the floodwaters of judgment, those terrifying waters in Noah's day, they were merely a type, a shadow. They were merely a warning of a greater judgment that will come upon all the earth again in the last day. On that last day, when we will stand before our righteous judge, the Lord Jesus. And even though many scoff at this, even though many in our day refuse to believe, Scripture assures us that that day will come. And the judgment events that we read about in Scripture are, really, are merely types of a greater judgment, of that greater judgment that is to come. The judgment in Noah's day, the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, the judgment upon the Canaanites, those were types of a greater judgment to come. You know, for us in Southern California, I would liken it to those small earthquakes that we have on occasion. We have a little earthquake. What do we see on the news? It's the big one that's coming, right? The little ones remind us about the big one. 
It's the same with the judgment that we read, the judgments that we read in the Bible. But the good news of the gospel, loved ones, is that God has provided a way of escape for his people, just as he did for Noah and his family. Just as the ark was the only way of escape for those who wanted to survive the judgment in Noah's day, there is a salvation that is provided by God in no one else but in Jesus Christ. It's what we read in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And why is it, loved ones, that Christ is the only way of escape? Why is it that Christ is the only way of escape for those who trust him? It's because Christ has borne the judgment of God for all those who believe. This is why the New Testament describes Noah's flood as a type of baptism, as something that foreshadowed a new covenant baptism. And we can press this point even further by looking to the cross of Christ. You know, when Christ spoke about his coming death, he referred to it as a baptism. We read in Luke chapter 12, verse 50, He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. What was the Lord Jesus referring to? He was referring to his upcoming suffering and death on the cross. What he was referring to in this baptism was that moment in time when the Father's wrath would be poured out upon him when he would be baptized in the Father's wrath. You know, and even as we think of that dreadful moment, loved ones, when our Savior experienced the very depth of hell itself on the cross, what can we do? We can rejoice, can't we? Because he was baptized with the judgment, he bore the judgment that was due to you, that was due to me. He who knew no sin was made sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ is the ark of salvation from judgment because Christ is the one who underwent the judgment for his people. Loved ones, there is an ark of safety, the person of Christ. Let us look to him and be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich truths of your word, truths that so clearly reveal Christ to us. We pray that you would cause us to seek our refuge in him and him alone. And we ask that you would bless us now as we partake of this spiritual feast before us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.